0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church where we are one church meeting in five different locations and our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com I've got something special on my heart today and I'm going to get some help here in just a little bit um, from those who are going to speak this with me but I've heard it said that if you'll show me your five closest friends, I'll show you your future. Oh, you've heard that too. Show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. Well, why would somebody say that? What, what is it they're trying to get after? How many of you have heard that quote before? Just, just a few of you. Okay, well, let me, let me explain it to you. The intent is to tell you that the people you surround yourself with have an impact on you parents is there any parent in the room that is not concerned about who your children spend time with oh they can just go have any friends that they want you never asking who's so and so you hear somebody new name that you never heard before and you're not who who is it tell me who's who's the mama who's the daddy where they where they from why are you so concerned parents because who your kids spend their time with is who will impact them. Question for you parents, you know I'm just going to jump right in. If you're so concerned about who your kids hang out with, why are we not more concerned parents about who we hang out with <laughs> and who, who we spend our time with? It, it, it's important, right? And it's important because we are not static in life. We're, we're more like clay than we are like marble. You with me? We can be molded, we can be shaped. The people you spend your life with will have a huge impact on the type of person that you will become. I would say it this way, your future isn't determined by your past. The devil wants you to think that. But it is determined by your present. Your future is not determined by your past, but it can be and will be determined by your presence. And one of the biggest indicators of the type of future you that you will see is those people that you spend time with. Who you choose to be around now will help steer and short a course for who you will become. I've said it this way before, you've heard me talk about belonging, right? Belonging, believe, behave, become. If you're concerned about the type of person you wanna become, you need to be concerned about your behavior, right? Because how you behave will determine how you become. But, We can't really do a whole lot with behavior if we haven't adjusted or looked at the way we believe. Belief influences behavior, which influences the type of person you will become. But what influences belief? It's the word belong. And if you can belong somewhere, you'll start to believe some things. And if you can believe some things, you'll start to behave in some ways. And if you'll behave in those ways, you'll start to become those Some of you want to have a godly life. Then you need to belong to a godly place. Because if you can belong to a godly place, then you'll start to believe godly things about you. And if you'll start to believe godly things about you, you'll start to behave in godly ways. And if you start behaving in godly ways, you'll become that godly person and have that godly life. Are you with me today? Everybody locked in to where we're headed? Because I've got some things that I want to show you and I want to help you see. Because my heart for you as a pastor is that you wouldn't be the kind of Christian that just shows up on Sunday morning and has a great worship service and listens to an okay word, but you're the kind of Christian that lives this out Monday through Saturday as well, and I'm telling you, who you spend your time with, who you're connected with, who you feel like you belong to will make a big, big impact at that. Let's look. Back at creation, the pinnacle of God's masterpiece is mankind. And let's look at scripture and see what scripture has to say. This is the first things, the very first things that God said about mankind. Genesis 126, we're going to go through this pretty quickly. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Don't miss that, our image, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one, you need to know that our God is a relational God. Let us make man in our image after our image. Likeness. Did you know that you were made to be in union too? God made you that way. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Is multiplication something you can do on your own? No, okay, just checking. Genesis 2, 15 through 17, chapter later. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely eat die. Very next verse, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And right off the bat, right off the bat, we see this in creation. God is proud of his creation, but God is also concerned about what you do, how you do it, and who you do it with. God is so proud of you, but he's also concerned not just about what you do, but how you do it, And who you get to do it with. He wants you to multiply, but He wants you to do it obediently, and He wants you to do it obediently with others. And here's it's like He's saying, here's all this that I've set out before you, get after it. Just don't do it alone. It's not good for people to be alone. Did you know that the health risks? associated with isolation, social isolation. They're staggering. Have you ever looked into that at all? They've been studied by sociologists and psychologists for decades and decades. According to this study I found, co-authored by Julian Holt Lundstadt, she's a PhD, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Brigham Young University. Look what this study said. It says a lack of social connection heightens health risks as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Or having alcohol use disorder. She's also found that loneliness and social isolation are twice as harmful to physical and mental health as obesity. 15 cigarettes a day. Obesity. Who you spend your time with and how you feel about that. Your social interactions have huge implications on your health. I would not be you to who I want to be if I didn't tell you. It's not good for you to be alone. Look what this study goes on to say. Being connected to others socially is widely considered a fundamental human need. Look at this. Crucial to both well-being and survival. Don't you love it when science catches up to scripture? I don't know how long it took them to figure that out. But God's been saying it for a long time. It's not good for you to be alone. Why is it in today's day? I mean, we are more connected than we've ever been before. You can pick up your cell phone right now and call somebody halfway across the world and they'll pick up as quick as if they were in the other room. And if phone calls wasn't enough, you you could FaceTime and video chat and all kinds of things with people. Why is it that we're more connected than we've ever been but yet we're more isolated and more lonely than we've ever been before. Have you thought about it? Man, a pre-pandemic study, it was done back in 2018 by the Pew Research Center, surveyed 6,000 adults, and here's what they said. Your level of connection, your level of social interaction, your level of well-being, the quality of your life will be determined by how you perceive your family, social, and community life. It's a big deal. Your family life, your social life, your community life has an impact on your health. Governments are trying to fix this problem that we have in the world today. Did you know, you may have heard this on the news, back in 2018, the UK created a cabinet level minister position called the Minister of Loneliness. The British government said, we're going to create a cabinet position to address, and we're going to call them the minister of loneliness. It's crazy. 2018, they did this. Did you know that since then, just four years ago, there had been four ministers of loneliness? The first one resigned after a month. It's a problem, but the government can't seem to fix it, especially since the pandemic. People are lonely. Say this with me. It's not good for me to be alone. Now fortunately for us, God has a plan for addressing our community and our social and our family needs. It's called the church. Okay. For the other ten of you that didn't agree with the first ten ten, are here in this room, God's plan for addressing and dealing with your social and community and family issues is the church. Can you act like it for a second? Tell, thank you. Let's see what scripture has to say about our loneliness. Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6 in the Passion Translation says this, to the fatherless, he is a father. How many of you say God has been a father to me? Absolutely. To the widow, he is a champion friend. I love that. A champion friend. To the lonely, he gives a family. To prisoners, he leads into prosperity until they sing for joy. This is our holy God and his holy place. But for the rebels, there is heartache and despair. The rebels. Now, what's he he talking about? Rebels. Those are the ones who choose to do it their own way, as opposed to the way God said we need to do it. The rebels are the ones who face heartache and despair. They're the, I don't need anyone um, I can do it on my own. You know anybody like that? Don't raise your hand. They may be sitting beside you. I don't need anybody. I, 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 can, I can do this on my own. Scripture tells me that we're made in his image according to his likeness, and he didn't even do it alone. Which one is it? Oh, no, no. Uh, no Pat, at least I'm coming to church, Pastor Don. I mean, come on. I I know a lot of people that aren't even in church on Sunday morning, Pastor Don. at At least I'm coming to church. That's fine, but Scripture says it's not good for you to be alone. Which one is it? Which one is it? Have you ever noticed that the majority of the teachings that we see in Scripture from Jesus himself centered around two things, following him and getting along with other people? Following him, take everything Jesus taught you, it'll fall in one of two categories. Following him and getting along with other people. Could it be that Jesus knew this, that it's much easier to follow God when you're in community with godly people? Could it be that your ability to get along with the people around you will have a direct impact on your life and on your ability to follow him? Could it be that the quality of your life this way will impact the quality of your life this way? Oh, we know the quality of your life this way will determine the quality of your life you have this way. Both of them are true. Latest statistics show us that there are 2.5 billion Christians in the world. Big number. I think it's like 2.56 or 5.8, something crazy like that. 2.5, that's about one third of the world would proclaim to be a Christian. But can I tell you, it didn't start there. Scripture shows us as we read through the book of Acts, it charts this course for church growth. I'm going to show you, this is crazy when you think about it. In Acts chapter 1, there was 120 believers waiting in the upper room for that promise that Jesus gave them. Just 120. There's way more than 120 people here in the room today. It started with 120. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2, 3,000 plus Peter stands up one day and he preaches a sermon and scripture tells us that 3,000 people get born again and water baptized. And I'm sitting here going, Jesus, I'm trying my best to do do what I can do here. I can't imagine 3,000 people from one sermon standing up and giving their heart to the Lord. By the time we get to Acts chapter four, scripture tells us there was 5,000 men, just men, that were following Jesus and following this new way that was going across the world. Many scholars feel like by the time you add women and children, that number's 15,000 believers. By the time we get to Acts 21, over 50,000 Christians. Tens of thousands, scripture tells us. And, and many believe that the church was over 50,000 at this point. That's 25 years from 120 to 50,000. That's some church growth, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. So here's my question for you How did they do it? Or well, more practically, where did they all fit? There's no place for 50,000 Christians to gather together to hear one message and to continue to. Grow as a new church began to grow, it didn't just grow in size on the weekends. Scripture shows us that it grows, that it show, shows us that it grows when the people prioritized meeting in smaller groups throughout the week. That's how this thing happens. It's, I love that you're here, but I'm not doing my job, I'm not helping you, I'm not pastoring you the way that God would have me past you if I didn't encourage you that the way we're supposed to grow up. And out is through smaller groups throughout the week. Look what scripture tells us, Acts 2, 46 and 47. And day by day, not just weekly, day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread, where? In their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Chapter five, verse 42, verse 42. And every day, how often? Every day day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Acts 20, verse 20 and 21, this is a quote from the Apostle Paul. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The church, the early church, was a church of small groups. The early believers were participators in small groups. So here's my heart for you. I want you to grow. I want you to meet God on a daily basis. I want you to grow up tomorrow and look back at today and think, man, I'm nowhere I need to be, but I'm definitely not where I used to be. I want you to grow. And the best way I know how to do that is to continue to create opportunities for you to get around other people. I I don't know that you can do that if you're not in relationship. I don't know any other way. Can you be a Christian and not be in a small group? Can you be a Christian and just come to church on the weekends? Answer? Yes, you can. Can you be a growing one? Can you be a healthy one? Can you be an overcoming one? I don't think so. I don't think you can. Here's what I'm going to do. All cards on the table, I'm going to ask each and every one of you to join a small group. I'm going to ask every single person in here with every bit of unction and every bit of authority I have from this pulpit to tell you, you need to be in relationship with other people, and I'm going to ask you to join a small group. Take a step and join a small group this semester. We're going to launch new groups next weekend And I want you to be a part. Why, Pastor Don? Because God is changing lives. And I want all of you to be a part of that. I would not be your pastor if I sat here and told you, God's doing some amazing things over here. And you're not a part. If I knew God was moving in a powerful way, and I didn't tell you about it, that would be derelict of duty. I want you to know what God is doing and can I tell you, I'm watching before my very eyes God change the hearts of people. I'm watching Troy and Emily Free, you sitting over there in the back. God is changing you guys. He is. Bringing you from no relationship with Him, no relationship with others. And I'm watching God do this time and time again showing up at men's groups and showing up for prayer and all of these things. God's doing something. And I wouldn't be a good pastor to you if I didn't tell you what God was doing in their life. I'm watching Ted Deere's. Ted Deere's, where are you at? Where are you at? Ted, there you are, Ted. To watch you go from zero relationship with God. To on fire and passionate. You can't interact with this man without seeing God having changed him and his wife for the better. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't be a good pastor to you if I didn't point out where God was moving. I'm watching Tamika every Sunday save a seat for her husband. Trusting and believing and watching God work out things that only he can do in a way that only he can do it. Alan, where are you at? Alan Bertrand. I'm watching God bring this man brothers that you wouldn't think would be brothers to him. But because God's doing something and changing his life, he's got a brand new family. It's phenomenal watching this. She's not in here, but I'm watching Brigitte, who's over speaking to our kids right now, Bring her through a season of wilderness and then into one of the greatest pioneering seasons where she's not only helping to build at our school, she's helping to build here within our church. I'm just telling you, God is doing something in the middle of this. I'm watching this before my very eyes. If I didn't tell you that, I wouldn't be a good pastor to you. Thank you for letting me try to be a good pastor to you. God is with us. I'm just telling you, the way God is moving in worship, I mean, These these people that stand up here, they're good, and they spend a lot of time on their ability and their talent, but can I tell you, they're not that good. They're not God good. They're not the kind of good that just makes up, and, and the presence of God falls in this place, and you walk in here going, what is that? That's the presence of God flowing through people who are obedient, saying, God, if you'll just use me. Even if I sing a wrong note or play a wrong note or hit the wrong thing at the wrong time, I'm glad Nathan's got more timing than I do. (laughs) If you'll just use me, God. Ms. Rosemary sent me this passage of scripture this week, and she had no idea what was on my heart. She had no idea what God was communicating. She had no idea what God had already showed me, and when I read it, it just jumped right off the phone at me. I'm gonna share that with you. It's Acts 11. 20 through 23, here's what it says. It says, they entered Antioch and began to proclaim the good news about the Lord Jesus also to Gentiles. The Lord's power was with them and a large number came to believe and turned to the Lord. Look at this, verse 22. But when the church in Jerusalem heard about this, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw evidence. Say evidence with me. He saw evidence of God's grace. And the result of him seeing that evidence was this. He was overjoyed and encouraged everyone to remain fully committed to the Lord. What do you think, pray tell, is that evidence that he saw when he got there? It was the people. The very life change that is happening in the people he saw right before our very eyes is the evidence that God's grace is here with us. And it's that evidence. It's watching God change somebody. It's watching God do something that you wouldn't expect him to do in the way that he's doing it. That's the thing that gets me fired up. And it's the thing that keeps me fully committed to what God is doing here. It's evidence. It's evidence. It's it's watching Sarah Go from not knowing anything about church, no, no church experience, no nothing, anything, now serving and sharing in our kids' ministry. That's evidence of God's grace there, that God is doing something in your life. I saw him earlier. I'm looking for him. I'm watching Greg Sistron go from being reserved to being one of the most confident, faithful intercessors within our church who does not miss a Monday night. And I'm watching God do something that you wouldn't expect. Right before eyes. It's, it's evidence. Gerard, where are you at? Right in the back. I'm watching this man become one of the greatest men's leaders we have at our entire campus. It's evidence. It's evidence. Gwen, where are you sitting? Gwen, not only am I watching God make you an incredible mama to those two little girls, but I'm watching him make you an incredible mama to the women that he's bringing to your life that needs you. That's evidence. It's evidence of what God is doing. Sandra, where are you at? Sandra Dehart, there you are. Watching this woman walk through a very difficult, very difficult medical procedure that would have sidelined the average woman and watch her do it with such grace and such faith and such dignity and such health That's evidence of what God is doing in her life. And I'm telling you, this isn't theory. This isn't theory, this is is evidence. Can I tell you, I've, I've, I've introduced you to 10 different people in the last few minutes, and can I tell you one thing that every single one of them have in common? It's not where they live. It's not how long they've been serving the Lord. It's not the color of their skin. It has nothing to do with their social media feed. It has nothing to do with the news station that they put on when they go to catch up on what's happening in the world. They have one thing in common, and it's this. They're involved in small groups. They're involved in small groups. And I'm not gonna sit here and try to convince you how important it is for you to be in small groups. I'm just gonna present some evidence to you. Can I do that today? Y'all good? Can I tell you some evidence of what God is doing? Because Here's what I did. I asked each of them a series of questions. About their small group experience and I want to share with you I'm just going to present the evidence of what they said here's the first question that I asked I said hey what would you say has been your greatest takeaway from being involved in a small group where have you grown the most That's what I asked here's what they said one of them said it's hard to put one thing on top there's so many things that have changed my life in the process I would have to start with gaining spiritual family, people that I probably wouldn't have relationships with are now pillars in my life and keep me accountable. One of them said, I became very aware that everyone has a story. Everyone is walking through something and it's okay. God can use your story to touch someone that may be walking through the same thing or when those same challenges come up in their lives, then that individual will be equipped to handle it. One of them said, I grew more in connection with others, better in communicating and self-development, my confidence, my empathy of others, and listening more and talking less, just to name a few. One of them told me, I now love, love, love to meet new people. That wasn't Gerard. He wouldn't use love, love, love three different times. I now love, love, love to meet new people. I love to run around church, the grocery store, or anywhere there are people and introduce myself and get to know them. My circle of friends at church went from about two to probably 100. And most importantly, my mom has seen my spiritual growth and it has helped her grow spiritually as well. Just evidence, just evidence. My greatest takeaway would be, this is somebody else, my greatest takeaway would be that I now have a relationship with God there's nothing I do in life now that doesn't include God first. He's made me a better husband and father. It's helped me open up in ways I never thought I could. Now I'm constantly spreading God's word to friends and family. I find myself thanking God for everything in my life. Somebody said, my knowledge of the Bible has grown a lot. All caps, A-L-O-T. And I didn't even know the main stories of the Bible. These small groups broke the Bible down and focused on certain chapters or stories that I could apply to certain parts of my life and that helped bring scripture back into the equation. Last one here. Having recently gone through the toughest time in my life, it was great to know that people genuinely cared and were praying for us. This profoundly changed me for the better. I'm just presenting evidence to you. Here's another question that I asked them. Did you have any setbacks or any obstacles to attending a small group for the first time? How did you overcome them? One of them answered, I was quiet for my first group. I remember not talking much. I didn't have a strong faith walking into my first group, but going there for the first time forever changed my life. The fellowship that I received helped me open up. By the end of the group, I did give some testimony about my life. I learned a lot about myself going to that first group meeting. I gave all my struggles to God that night and became an anchor for others in the group. One of them said, the setbacks for me were making the time. I came to realize that I needed to sacrifice a little bit of my personal time for the greater reward of waiting on the other other side of my obedience. Some of their obstacles were very practical. Look at this. My wife works late on Wednesdays. It's the day of the small group it was held. But she was late only one time. God always seemed to work it out. I tried to make sure everything, somebody else, I tried to make sure everything was taken care of for the night that Freedom or any small group was happening. There were no times really that were obstacles. Planning ahead helped me. And the last one, I had to prioritize small group and make changes to my work schedule. One of these people actually adjusted their work schedule so they could prioritize being in a place where God could help them grow. That's huge. And I asked him this question, I said, hey, what were some of your reservations to attending a small group? What were some of the reservations? One of them said, I was nervous. I didn't know anyone in the church. I kept coming up with excuses not to go, but I persevered and I showed up. This is a safe place where you can be vulnerable and open up with the people in your group. It's a great way to ask ask questions and to receive a word. One of them said, it's hard walking in a room speaking in front of people you don't know and it's hard to open up it's human nature to be reserved not wanting people to know certain things about you group teaches you to give it all to god opening up in the fellowship where there is no one that judges you it truly helps you on your journey to walk with god i'm just giving you evidence y'all seeing this this is this is evidence from god's moving in people's lives honestly here's the next one honestly i'm very personal and low-key my wife was very open and encouraging. She basically held my hand through it because she knew it was not something that I would normally do. A room full of strangers and sharing things near to my heart was not in my cards, but it was in God's plan for me. One of them said, well, the first obstacle was the time. I was, uh, t- time was a reservation as I was working 60 hours a week. The second was this. I'm not a very group-oriented person. I was more a loner. And my third obstacle was I wasn't very good at sharing much about myself. I felt like life had beat me up pretty good, and I didn't like talking about it. I asked him this question. Was there an area of your life that you struggled with as a Christian? that became easier or healthier as a result of being in a small group? Was there something that was hard for you that became easier when you got in this environment, when when you got surrounded by some godly people? Was there something you were working on behaving that you couldn't because you didn't feel like you belonged? Here's what they said. I always thought of myself as a Christian, but I never practiced their quotes. My parents were Catholic and Baptist, and I couldn't really agree on, and they couldn't really agree on where to bring us up, so they just didn't. I thought by being a good person, that's all I needed to be. I questioned God and the Bible so many different times and ways through my life, but after doing small groups, it came clear to me why God did the things that he did. My trust and faithfulness in God has been restored, and I am open and willing for God to use me in any way that he sees fit. Just evidence. Just evidence to help you. Here was the next one. All caps. Yes, indeed. And a lot of exclamation points. Probably the same one that said they love, love, love meeting new people. I struggled with reading my Bible consistently. I struggled with surrendering my life to God. I struggled with parenting, with marriage, with work, and just walking a Christ-like life. But being in a small group encouraged me every step of the way in each of these areas. One of them said, after my accident, I developed PTSD. The death of my two best friends haunted me for a very long time. You could even say I was angry with God. I grew up in, and I'll just say, another religion. Only time my family ever went to church was for a wedding or a funeral. Growing up, I didn't have a relationship with God. I always struggled to attend church. After becoming a Christian, now God is first in my life and everything I do. Without group and the fellowship that it, that it provided, it would never have happened. It helped me form a relationship with God. One of them said, I struggled with lust, with porn, with drinking, drinking heavily, fear, and being incapable to love. My wife suffered from each of these aspects. Being in a group shined a light on these things that I hid within my household. What I thought was just struggles of a man was transformed into struggles of a baby in his walk. The things that I tried to control were taking over my life. Being in small groups taught me how to surrender and release those things, not on my own strength, but the strength of my ever-so-powerful Heavenly Father. One of them said, Growing up in a different church, I never knew how important it is to have a relationship with God. From the Freedom Small Group, I can now say that I have one. It has been easier to grow since small group. I never opened up the word either growing up. Now I look forward to reading my Bible, the verse of the day, and talking about Scripture and God with coworkers and with others. One of them said, I struggled with some family relationships as a Christian, but going to group gave me the support and helped me not to be alone. It's God's grace. It's evidence of God's grace you got time for one more question that I asked them it's all right y'all good some of you are looking at me like this is hitting you hard and I'm so glad that it is it's that important here's the question that I asked them what would you tell others who love God and are Christians who faithfully attend church but have yet to join a small group what would you say one of them said, what are you waiting for? Just do it. You won't regret it. It shows the setbacks and triumphs of the people in the Bible that you can apply to your own personal life and relationships with others. This is a great way to connect with others in all walks of life, in different stages of life. I believe everyone brings something to the table. Bottom line is you're not alone and these groups will constantly remind you to hold on to your trust and your faithfulness in God. One of them said, you don't have a clue what you're missing. This is a cornerstone to my life. Every area you feel you're weak in can now grow in these groups. You were not in the marathon alone. One of them said, if you want to grow spiritually and gain a spiritual family, join a small group. If you want something life-changing, join a small group. Pray, and even if you don't know anyone there, there'll be something you have in common with the others at that group pray and take a leap of faith and see what it's like you won't be disappointed and i love this this is one of them said this start with freedom start with a freedom small group once you start being a part of small groups you will never want to stop everyone needs their own self-care time why not make small group your self-care time one said you'll always find reasons why you can't life happens busyness kids work but let me be a prime example that you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. Being able to walk with individuals from every walk of life and getting a front row seat to a life transformed is something I've never experienced and keeps me wanting more. It's evidence. One said, being in a small group is an entirely different level of spiritual family. Not all of us have healthy relationships with our natural family. So connecting with spiritual family is what you need. One said, be open and try it. The fellowship you receive in group is powerful and inspiring. There's no judgment in group. You learn things about yourself and your relationship with God. The bonds that are formed through group are special. And I feel it brings you closer to God. And the last one said this, don't hesitate. Don't find reasons why you can't. It will be one of the most important, most rewarding, and most fulfilling things you could ever do for yourself in your walk with God because we weren't meant to do life alone. Next week, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. Men, you can join a men's group. Women, you can join a women's group. Couples, you can join a group together. Students, we got groups for you to join and be a part. I didn't wanna have to convince you. I just wanted to lay out the evidence and let you see God is with us. And he's doing things in people's lives. The 10 people I share with you, they're gone. They're running. And I know many of you would love to catch up and would love to be a part of what God is doing. I hope that what you've seen and heard today will have the same impact that it had on Bartimaeus when he went to Antioch. Look what it said, verse 23. When he arrived and he saw evidence of God's grace, he was overjoyed and encouraged everyone to remain fully committed to the Lord. Can I tell you this? None of those small group experiences would have happened if it weren't for our small group leaders. Can I tell you this? Can y'all help me honor and thank all of our small group leaders? Leaders, look at me. That's your fruit. God's using you. in the way you think God would never would, to do things you thought God never could. He's using you to lead and to help others. Those who have opened their homes, opened a door, opened a coffee shop or, or other places to create space for people to group together. And I ask all those people I talked to this week. I asked them one more question. And I want to share that with you. I asked them this. I said, "Who would you say is the relationship most responsible for you being in a small group today? What would you like to say to them if you had the opportunity? Joyce Blankenship, thank you for showing me what it's like to be a Christian and to live a Christian life. Thank you for for welcoming us into your home and being like a mom to me. Thank you for giving me hope and encouragement to grow more spiritually and within the church. I hope you know how much you mean to me and it means to have you in my life. Gerard? Carol? Carol, where are you at? The lights are brought up there. There you are. Somebody said this about you today. You and your families made me feel like I belong to a much larger family than the one I was born into. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for loving me the way that I am. Thank you for saving my life. Tammy Johnson, she's with our kids right now. I can't even express the gratitude I have for being invited into your small group. I have grown and gained so much knowledge about myself and the Bible. The connections and friends I've made through small groups is something that can never be replaced. Kelly Blankenship, thank you for your time, dedication, and commitment for hosting a small group and touching my life. I'm sure there are many more that you have helped just like me Thank you for being a friend and Jesus to me and my wife. One of them said, Stephanie Provost, your obedience to God is admirable. You're a very strong woman, and I'm so grateful that the random conversation at a softball game contributed so much to my spiritual growth. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Brandy Boutte, where are you at? There you are my wife, Brandi Bute, who got me into the Gold Book Group and also had two semesters of freedom conducted in my house. God was moving through you, and you prayed and prayed and prayed for me for years. The person I have become is a product of the prayers and tears that you shed through the years. Just evidence. Jonathan and Monique Sanchez I see you Monique where's Jonathan Jonathan's up there thank you so much for helping me find my faith thank you so much for the night we went to eat dinner that's where it all started thank you so much for filling my heart with God's grace and saving me and I hope one day I can help someone else find God there are others and there will be others Because God is moving among His people who are in relationship, bow your heads with me. I believe that God is tugging on hearts today, and I believe that He's urging you to step out and lead a group. Some of you are being urged to lead a group. I believe He's leading you to to provide a place for somebody else to grow and for God to move in their life. And if that's you, your step today is to go check out our small group prep. It's not a commitment. It's just an investigation to see what God might do. All it means is that God put it on your heart today and you want to go find out more. That's your step. What could it look like? I don't know. I've got all the questions. I don't know where or how or how could I do it or what kind of group. But don't worry about any of that. Take the step. And go find out what God is leading you to do. There are other, others here today. And I believe God has put it on your heart for you to step up and finally join a group. Get connected. Start praying for the right opportunity. Grab a Connect card and let us know. Next weekend you'll be able to sign up and join. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't deny the evidence that's right before you and I think there are also others here today and you know what your next step is. You feel far from God. You feel lonely and you're in need of relationship and you so badly want to see that evidence of God's grace in your life. The things I shared with you today that God is doing in people's lives seems almost so foreign and unattainable to you. You can't even imagine what it would look like if God would do something like that in you. And you've never prayed to be born again. You've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, if you mean to tell me God could do a miracle in my life, I'm willing to let him. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody's looking around, just you and God and the evidence that he's laid before you today. If you do not know God and do not have a relationship with him, none of these other relationships are going to make sense. But if as a result of what I shared with you today, you can admit that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from a righteous and loving God. And if you die today, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. You don't know that the first face you'd see would be the face of Jesus. If you're here today and for the first time you can believe that God would send his one and only son to live a sinless life for you. A life you could not live to pay a debt you could not pay so that you could be restored in relationship to him. And if you're here today and you can confess him as both Savior and Lord, I want to pray with you to be born again. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Nobody's looking around. If that's you today and you've never prayed to be born again, I'm gonna ask you from right there where you're seated to raise your hand. Raise your hand high so I can see. Go ahead. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Up in the balcony today. Thank you, I see your hand. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do, those of you that raised your hand. I'm gonna lead us into prayer. I'm going to ask all of us to pray this prayer together and aloud, indicative of the fact that nobody walks through Christianity alone. We're all meant to do this together. Pray this prayer with me today. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare, God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.